One of the things that I love is good acting. I love to go to a theater, to a play, to a movie. I love the whole storyline and character development and the ability of men and women to make me forget that they're something other than they are, that they're playing a part. Uh, some of the great movies and plays and the theater of our time kind of helps us escape life. It's important to remember, though, that they're actors and actresses, and they're playing a part that's not them. And at the end of the day, after they've been blown to smithereens, they hit the clock and go home. That after they fall off the precipice into the jagged valley below, they're not really dead. They go home. The scene that unfolds before us in the life of Jesus Christ was no theater part. It was not played out by an actor who went home at the end of the scene. He was facing the cross, a cruel death within itself, and yet he was facing something much more horrible than just physical death. He was going to take upon my sin and your sin. I, I want you to feel that moment. I, I want you to know that as he faces the cross, as best we can understand, the sure horror of a sinless God becoming sin for you and I. Now, I know we're 2,000 years removed from the scene. I understand this happened a long time ago, but it really didn't. It happened as if it were two days ago, yesterday, that he went to the cross. That he took my sin and your sin upon himself. And I think it's really not until the Holy Spirit shows you that to, that you really begin to feel the weight of it. Because we're so theaterized, are we not? We're so movieized, if that's a word. We're such into the character and the skits and plays, but this was real. And he was never the same after he went through the cross. He paid for my sin and he paid for your sin. In John chapter 12, after he answers the Greeks, there's this incredible moment, and he plays this moment out in all the crowd before him. Notice in chapter 12, verse 27, as Jesus, his hour has come, he says this, now is my soul troubled. Please stop and meditate on that and let that sink in. The word troubled means to stir the pot, to agitate something, to, to become in turmoil inside. He was facing rejection. He was facing ridicule. He was facing his beard torn off. He was facing 
cruel scourgings. He was facing a rugged cross that he would carry through the streets of Jerusalem. But more than that, he was carrying my sin and your sin. He was bearing the sin of the entire world. He was taking that sin and paying for it on the cross, on his cross. There never was a cross like this before or since. Thousands died of crucifixion, but never a man like this. One who was perfect and holy and God in the flesh. That he took my sin upon him. When the Holy Spirit bears down upon your soul and shows you that, you cannot walk away the same. You may reject it. You may move on with your life and live like you want to live. But you cannot bear away the scene of it all and the weight of it all. My soul now is troubled. You feel the weight of that as best as we can. Difficult, isn't it? Hard to understand. And what shall I say? Notice the question mark at the end. It's not in the Greek. The Greek doesn't have punctuation marks like that. It's possible that this wasn't a question but a statement. It's possible we're reading this wrong. Look at verse 27. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Again, not a question mark there. The translators have put it in. But think of it as a statement of fact rather than a question. And what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? Deliver me out from this hour. Oswald Chambers, in his writing on this verse, says this. Jesus Christ is asking God to save him out of this hour, not from it. All through, this is the inner attitude of Jesus Christ. He received himself in the fires of sorrow. It was never, do not let the sorrow come. That is the opposite of what we say. We pray, oh Lord, don't let this or that happen to me. Consequently, all kinds of damaging and blasphemous things are said about answers to prayer. And he goes on to write, one person is healed and we say, oh, their prayers were answered. The other person is not healed. And we say that God didn't answer the prayer. He goes on to write, You have to remember that the hour of darkness will come in every life. It is not that we are saved from the hour of sorrow. We must be delivered within that sorrow. Notice with that thought, what shall I say? Father, Father, as a prayer, what shall I pray? Father, deliver me. In my hour of sorrow, I will face it. I will carry the weight of this world, the sin of this world. Deliver me out of it, or from it, or out of it. Look at the next phrase. But for this purpose, purpose of what? 
the purpose of dying, the purpose of the sorrow, the purpose of making a way for you and I. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Wow. He wasn't asking the Father to avert the cross. He was asking the Father in the midst of dying for them, may I be victorious in paying for their sins and facing it. Then he asked the Father who was allowing this to happen. Notice he says, glorify your name. Any great theologian, whether it's P.T. Forsyth or Chambers, most of the older, richer guys, talk about the centrality of death in the redemptive plan of God. Don't pass that over. Jesus didn't come to live the perfect life, although he did. His purpose for coming wasn't the miracles. His purpose was to die. It's the centrality of the death of Jesus Christ. That God hung on a cross. That he paid for our sins because all of us are sinful and rebellious and wicked and need redemption. You can't believe how this simple gospel message has been hijacked for the last 2,000 years by churches and liberal theologians who talk about the Sermon on the Mount who talk about looking at the life of Jesus, that talk about loving God like Jesus loved God, that talk about the cross as an example of self-sacrifice. All of that is rubbish. Rubbish. Because Christ came to die for mankind because all mankind was dead. Our great need is not education. Our great need is not an example. Our great need is the redemptive life of Jesus Christ. Chambers said it well when he said, All of life, the basis of it is wild and random. It is wild and random in this life. The basis of this life is random. We don't know what's coming next. Who's going to be picked next? Who's going to be plucked next? Who's going to have this disaster or this problem? It is random. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Everything you have can be jerked out from underneath you like a rug. You can lose everything tomorrow. It's random. And it is wild. You can't control it. You think you got it all under your thumb. And I am guarantee you, in a moment, everything you have can be taken. And you can't do a thing about it. If that is true, I believe it is, then the only possible basis of life is the redemption of Jesus Christ. That there is something beyond this life that makes it all make sense. I spent some time recently with my good friend Mike Roddy. Maybe you don't know Mike lost his first wife. She died of cancer. Uh, It wasn't a long, long process of death. 
It was quite short, actually. The Lord was gracious to Carolyn, even in saying that. He's not gracious if it's long and drawn out. He's gracious either way. Mike shared for the first time the instance of that night when Carolyn died. He kissed her in the hotel room that night and went home. He got a call about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, and he rushed down to the hospital. And by the time he ran down to Carolyn's room, they were pulling all the equipment out. And he walked into that hospital room, and there was Carolyn dead. And Mike said, you know, I didn't have one of those, one of those peaceful moments that they talk about. He said, I actually took my fist and slammed it into the wall. And a good friend of his who was a doctor who was working with Carolyn, who was a Christian, ran in behind him. And Mike said he, he came up behind me and hugged me. And this is what he said. He said, it's not over. It's not over. It's not over. It's the redemption of Jesus Christ that Mike will be reunited with Carolyn again, that we will be reunited with the ones we have lost and loved, that our lives that seem such a mess will all make sense because of the death of Jesus Christ, because of the redemptive power of his life, and that's the only message we have. That's the only message of the gospel that we possess. Notice he said, now is my soul troubled. He said, Father, glorify your name. This is the third time that the Father is going to speak from heaven. The first time was the baptism. When he cried out, when the Father cried out from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What is baptism but the picture of death, the burying of the life, the raising up again? The second time the Father calls from heaven is the Mount of Transfiguration. Second time. The Mount of Transfiguration said, this is my beloved Son, and he told those disciples, you listen to him, hear ye him. What was the topic of the Mount of Transfiguration between Elijah and Moses? It was the death of Jesus Christ. It was his decease. They talked about it, and they talked about it, and they talked about it. This is the third time, and it also involves the death of Jesus Christ. Do you understand how centrality of death this is? The Father calls out from heaven again, and notice a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard it. They said it was like, it was thunder. <laughs> how, how deaf the natural man is to the voice of God, is it not? They don't see it. It's not that the Spirit of God wakes us up that we see and know anything. You may be listening to preaching today and it sounds like thunder to you. It's all it is. You've heard it before. You'll hear it again. You're getting through the church hour. It'll be 12. You'll be released. This is nothing but thunder to you. The Spirit of God opens your heart. It's clarity and clear. Take a look at, take a look at the next phrase. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Still not knowing what he said. Look at verse 30. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Then it's a very beautiful three-part sermon. And these are the three points today. Jesus kind of gives us the outline. Notice in the crucifixion what happens. Now. Now. Emphatic in the Greek. Now at last. Now is the judgment of this world. Stop right there. 
in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the world is judged, done, flushed down the toilet, and the mind of God gone. What's the judgment of this world? That the perfect Lamb of God came in its midst and they crucified Him. They rejected Him. It is this world system that we sometimes look to, sometimes embrace, sometimes try to emulate. It has been judged by Jesus Christ because the world rejected Him and crucified Him. That's why religion and politics doesn't mix. Because Christianity and the life of Christ and Christianity has nothing to do with the powers of this world. Nothing. This world has been judged by Jesus Christ because it rejected Him. Judgment is done. He's not building a kingdom in this world. He's building a kingdom that's coming. He's not doing it with brick and and, and concrete and mortar. He's doing it with gold and silver and and precious metal. And it's something that's coming. We're like children on the beach building a sandcastle. And along comes this beautiful ocean liner, this beautiful cruise ship that's massive and beautiful. And we're just monkeying with a sandcastle. Monkeying with a sandcastle. Oh, what a beautiful sandcastle. Oh, here comes a wave. Some of it washed away. And we build it again. We build it again. And here's this ocean. Here's this beautiful cruise boat going by. Kingdom of God is eternal in the heavens. Why would I monkey around with a sandcastle on the beach? Why would I monkey around with that? Waste your time with this world. He has judged it. He has rejected it. We are not of this world. Stop getting your satisfaction from this world. Stop getting your self-esteem from this world. Stop getting anything from this world. You have been cut off from this world. You are pilgrims. This world is not our home. We are just passing through it. Almost want to sing a song if I had more voice. Second point, in the crucifixion, now. There it is again, now. Now will the ruler or prince of this world be cast out. I love that. That's Satan. Who do you think runs this whole mess? Why do you think this world is a mess? He runs it. The word cast out is progressive in the Greek. It is slowly and over time. Now in the crucifixion, his power was broken. Still in charge of this mess. But he has no place in here. He has no domination within the church of Jesus Christ. He has no footing here. His power has been broken. His power has been broken in your life. Do you know that? He has no more power over you. We are not to fear him. We are not to fear his demons. We are not to fear anything spiritual that's of the negative. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. He has judged. He has cast out the prince of this world. The accuser of the brethren has no place in us. We don't have to call out for that. We don't have to pray for that. We don't, I mean, there's a lot of that stuff going on, you know. They're going to bind Satan. Satan's bound. What are you binding somebody who's already bound? He is cast out. Don't you love that? Won't you love it the day that we step in glory and he has no even ear, that he can't speak? That, that we're completely physically cut off from him in sin. Prince of this world is cast out. Notice, and I 
What's the crucifixion? When I am hoisted up, lifted up from the earth, notice, I will draw all men, all people to myself. Now, what does that mean, all men? It means all men. Uh, If you're a hyper-Calvinist, you're going to read that, well, he'll draw all the elect to himself, but it doesn't say that. It says all men. Can men reject him? Yes. But he is drawing them. He's drawing them. The cross, he's lifted up. There it is. Make your call, make your choice. But know in the grace of God, none of us would be here in this place if he didn't draw us to himself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He chose you and I. He chose us. He chose us knowing all about us. I'm so glad he called you and chose you and drew you. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you know that draws you. This is the message that draws you to be redeemed, the cross of Jesus Christ, the redemption that he offers. Unless you missed it, uh, in verse 33 it says, and he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And they got the message because in the next question that we'll cover next week, they're asking well, wait a minute, the Messiah is supposed to live forever. What are you talking about being lifted? They got the message. He died for you and I. Isn't that beautiful? The redemptive plan of God. Well, I've heard that a thousand times. Heard it all my life. Never gets old. Never gets old. Because we're not on that shore yet. And when we get to that shore, what song are we going to be singing? Redemption, redemption, singing the song and the blood and power and the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you know when the lamb shows up in the, in the book of Revelation? It's the lamb that shows up, the one who was crucified for you and I. I believe we'll see the nails in his hands and his feet. I believe we'll see the one who died for us. No one's ever done that. No man can do that for you. Christ did it for you. He did it for you. We talk a lot about the love of God. The love of God is seen in the cross of Jesus Christ. Never disconnect the two. We talk a lot about the grace of God. The grace pours out of the cross of Jesus Christ. The grace of God is given to us because he died for us. The love of God is seen as he sacrificed himself. Love has to have definitions, and this is the definition of the love of Jesus Christ for you. And he that died on the cross, will he not give us his life now? Yes, he will. Lord Jesus, I pray for anyone today who doesn't know Christ as their Savior. I pray today as as the words have been spoken from your word, that they uh, will have inroads by your Holy Spirit. That if there's anyone here who has never And and you're able to make that clear to us if we know you or not. You made it clear to me years ago. So I pray for anyone here who doesn't know Christ. I pray for we who know you to rejoice in the cross, to rejoice in the redemption, the life that has been poured out because this is the avenue of life. We can't produce this stuff inside of us, but we look to you to fill us 
We look to you to live in us. And that life is out of death. Father, we thank you that this plan is so simple. Simple as smallest child can understand. And yet so steeped in wisdom that the greatest minds who ever lived can never get to the depth of this beautiful message, this beautiful Savior, this rugged, bloody cross. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.